What's up, Active Lifers? Welcome back to the Active Life Podcast. I'm Dr. Sean Pastuge. I'm your host. And if you're watching this instead of listening to it, you can see that I'm coming at you from my bedroom, sitting on the floor next to the bed. And the reason for that is because it's 2020 and shit breaks down. So anyway, on today's show, we have Mitch and Catherine Iverson, who are the owners of Principia CrossFit, at least at the moment that the show is being released. The reason that I wanted to have Mitch and Catherine on today is because they are exactly who most gym owners are. And I mean that in the most complimentary way. A year and a half ago, Mitch and Catherine were running a gym that was bringing in right around seven, dollars $8,000 a month. And now they're owning a gym that is bringing in close to triple that, if not more than triple that in some months. And the things that they did to be able to afford themselves the lifestyle that they want to be able to live are not extraordinary things. They're not. They're simple things. Done well, done consistently, and done bravely. On this podcast, I wanted you to hear how Catherine decided that she no longer needed the teaching salary that she was making and how she decided to come work in the gym full time. I wanted you to hear how Mitch went from being the guy in the gym who identified as the best athlete to being the guy in the gym who identifies as an inspiring owner. I wanted you to hear how they went from giving everybody in the gym discounts and keeping their rates grandfathered at the price that they once paid to charging appropriately and valuing themselves fully. I wanted you to hear how they went from doing no personal training to doing more than $8,000 a month in personal training. I wanted you to hear how they added a class to their schedule that they call the Tide class that costs a member more than double what the most expensive membership option in their gym costs per month. How they thought that it was going to fall flat, how it filled, what they did to fill it, and what's happening with it now. If you're a gym owner out there, you're going to want to listen to this episode because it's going to show you the things that you believe are impossible to do are actually being done. And they're being done by somebody who is probably a lot like you. Somebody who you would probably get along with very well. And my hope is that you're inspired to take radical action after you listen to this podcast. And by radical action, I mean small action consistently. Let's get you to Mitch and Catherine. We're going to get to the show in a minute. What I want to talk about first is the new active life enhanced assessment. We've been getting a lot of questions from you about what do I do when it bothers my knee when I squat, but not when I do anything else. And you're not necessarily ready to work with us as a one-on-one client. And we totally understand that. We've gotten hundreds of questions just like the one I just said. My knee hurts when I do this. What should I do about it? And the honest answer is always, it depends. And we need to ask many more questions to give you the best answer. We decided that the best way for us to help you with the thorough answer to those questions is to develop a product, a service that can help you. So we came up with the Active Life Enhanced Assessment. 
This is a four-day process in which you go through the similar assessment to what our one-on-one clients go through. You get to talk to one of our staff members about what it is that they found on your assessment, and they will give you instruction on how to overcome the aches and pains that have been plaguing you for a long time without going to the doctor or missing the gym, if it's appropriate for you to do that. So if you're interested in jumping into our Active Life Enhanced Assessment, go ahead and Check out the link in the story notes, the show notes, excuse me, and we'll see you there. Mitch and Catherine Iverson, welcome to the Active Life Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love for you to just give the audience a brief welcoming to who you guys are and and what led us to having a conversation today? Because they will have heard from me in the introduction that, you know, oh, Mitch and Catherine are ProPath gym owners, and they'll learn a little bit about why I thought you guys were especially valuable to come on. But I would love them to hear from you uh, what your day-to-day looks like and why, why, this, why this path for you. By path, I mean, um, I mean gym ownership and, you know, fitness. Yeah, so I guess first for everyone, my role is to, I, I started the gym and I wanted to be a phenomenal coach. And then I married my wife, Catherine, and she was a teacher at the time. And then she obviously has some skill sets that crossed over and we decided it would be much easier for us if we did it together instead of just me do my thing while she does her thing. So that happened kind of along this journey. Um, okay. when did that happen? When Catherine, when, when, when did you guys get married? First of all, we got married in 2016. Um, and then we started the gym 2017. Got it. So at first, uh, we so at first it was, I'll be married. You'll like, we'll be married together. You'll teach. I'll run the gym. And that, yeah, okay. got it. So keep going. I, I didn't mean to, inter- I guess I did mean to interrupt you, but I didn't mean to <laughs> stop your flow. Yeah. So, I mean, to answer your question about when she, she stopped being a teacher, when was that? Like this last year, this is her first year not teaching. Um, so it had been since 2017, pretty much just me doing almost all the work at the gym. And as you get further and further down that path, you realize just how much work that really is to make it successful and to make it profitable and to get it to a point where you can be financially secure while also chasing and pursuing your dreams. Um, and that took, I mean, you have to discover it, I guess, but I don't know. That was kind of the path that we went on and in the pursuit of trying to be the best coach possible, I wanted to make sure I was making the greatest impact on my uh, community. And I didn't feel like as much as my intentions and passions were in the correct place, I didn't think it was happening. Um, so I sought actually active life, you guys, and basically flipped a switch completely. Um, so the past we've been working with you guys for over a year now mm-hmm. and over that past year, not only has the financial security thing been a thing right out the gate, um, it's really challenged my perspectives on who I'm following, who I uh, look up to, who I like, I'm constantly, um, evolving is what it feels like, which in a good way and, uh, in a challenging way, I guess. What do you mean in a challenging way? 
Um, every time that you have to embark on something new, even if you're excited about it, you have some reservations and some fear and some, but I'm this, not that. And one of the main things that um, was a challenge for me was I had to switch the athlete off and turn the coach and owner on instead of the coach and athlete. So right now I'm still wearing multiple hats in that field, but um, it was really difficult to leave the athlete behind. Um, But important because the rate of progress is going to be significantly slower if I stayed on that path. Um, So that, that becomes challenging on an emotional level, on a physical level, on pretty much all levels, it becomes challenging, but then the reward comes later. Um, And I've, I'm constantly feel like I'm in that. So now I'm almost in this point where I'm actually trying to transition from coach to owner. Um, And that's a hard transition too, because emotionally I'm invested in coaching, but I know that the owner thing is more important to the overall goal of, of like my purpose on the planet which is to have an impact on the most people possible, not just a great impact on one or two. Um, And I guess I was thinking about this this morning, knowing that questions similar to this were going to come up probably, I guess. Um, I think the difference between a coach and an owner in the fitness industry anyway, is uh, kind of like related to the military. In the military, you have your grunts, right? You have your uh, lower enlisted personnel and they have a very important job. It's doesn't get done without them. So let's think of infantry. We want those people on the ground to do certain tasks and to get shit done. That makes perfect sense. But you also need a leader that can put them in the right place at the right time. And that's when I think, when I think of it that way, I relate to the same way. So a coach is kind of the person on the ground. They need to make the impact on the individual the owner needs to make an impact on the coach or set them up into and facilitate relationships so that they can make that impact. And I think if you try to do it all, you do it all very little. And if you can focus on one thing at a time, you drive way faster in that direction. So that's been another challenge is trying to step away from the coaching so much of athletes and instead coaching of coaches or just general ownership type things like vision and what is this supposed to look like and how do we get there? Well, and I, I um, want to make sure people know you, you were in the military. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was in the, I was in the national guard, like yeah, well, 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 either, <laughs> nothing. But either way, there's, there's, there's some experience there where I just, I know I sometimes will make military references myself and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm talking about actually. I, I think it's really easy to reference. Yeah, <laughs> it is easy to reference. And then, and then I want to get to you, Catherine, cause I want your perspective here too. But one of the things that I want to point out there is you described yourself as an athlete and a coach previously. What, what was the athlete when, when you just called yourself an athlete, were you competing in fitness? What, what was that? Yeah, I was competing in CrossFit. I mean, I never thought that I would be, individual games level, but I was like, I could probably go team, you know, and I got you. And I was competing locally and trying to be like that guy. I got you. So, okay. The reason that I feel like that was such an important thing to bring up is there's a few things at play here. When you're a gym owner, 
you have a certain identity to who you think you're supposed to be for the way that the members will respond, right? And there's the, if I'm not the best athlete in the gym, are the members even going to listen to me? That's, that's one of the concerns that I've certainly had when I was a gym owner. And I was like, thank goodness my partner at the time was the best athlete in the gym. But then I realized people were listening to me too. And I wasn't the best athlete in the gym. The other reason I wanted to bring that up is because I think that Mitch, had you made the decision and Catherine, I want you to speak to this, please. Had Mitch made the decision to go from athlete and coach to, okay, I'm just going to focus on being a great gym owner. There would have been too much sense of loss right away to be able to do that job well without resenting it. What are th- That's my thought. There almost needed to be the, okay, I'm going to deprioritize my athletic prowess. I'm still going to be fit, but I don't need to be competitively fit. I'm going to be a really great coach and I'm going to figure out what it is that makes me a really great coach and then start teaching it to other people. I think that that transition needed to happen before Mitch could just jump in and be like, all right, I'm just going to give up this part of my life and pick that one up. The reason I'm most interested in your response on this is because I remember the day that you guys signed up to work with us. You were breastfeeding a baby and (laughs) six week old baby, like so scary. Yes. Yes. I was like, all right, well, this is a, I can kind of relate my wife breastfed I can tell her I relate to that. Um, but it was, you know, it was, you guys are going to make this big expensive decision and you turns to Mitch. And I remember you said, if we do this, you have to do it. Like you're going to need to do it. That means less competitiveness, all that. Like, are you ready for that? What were you thinking about there? And what are your thoughts on what I just went over? Oh man. Um, yeah, that was such a big step because I've always been in charge of the finances. Um, so even though Mitch was really the one doing all the gym stuff, I was always in charge of finances because I just kind of worked that way. So I knew that we had just barely started paying Mitch anything. Um, so when I heard the price and kind of the year-long commitment to that price, I was absolutely terrified. It was my top paycheck at the time. That yeah. was my max you know what i mean meaning, and he got to pay that like three times meaning, meaning <laughs> which means that meaning what you paid us was the most you'd ever paid yourself yeah so we've been living off of my teacher income for three years and if you know anything about teacher incomes especially in idaho that's not very much um what, so what, what, to hear what, what is a teacher income in idaho i started at twenty nine thousand okay. a year Um, and then I got up to, I think I was making 40 my last year. So not a whole lot when, and so that's why all those posts resonate so much, even just looking at coaches, how much a coach should be paid. And it's like, that's more than I was making after five years teaching with a degree. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the kind of like, that's why part of the reason why I left, you know, cause that's not a career when you're making so little, it's really hard to have a future and, sacrifice other things and stay yeah. passionate about it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, we'll get to, we'll get, to, we'll get to you leaving. Don't worry. We'll get to that. I want, I want to, yeah, let's, let's, let's go back to, um, what was, you know, what was your perspective as the other half? Because I believe that anytime that anytime you're hiring somebody, if they're married or in a serious relationship, you're also hiring their significant other. If you're, um, going to be working with somebody the way that we work with you, 
even if Mitch was going to be the lead point of content, so we thought, um, you're both you, your co-leads. Um, there needs to be support from you because otherwise Mitch goes home and says, we need to do this. And then you're like, no. So what was your perspective on Mitch's ability to say, okay, I'm not going to be the best athlete in the gym anymore necessarily. It's not, it's not the goal anymore. It might still happen, but it's not the goal. Uh, and I'm going to focus on being a coach and an owner. Where did the confidence that he could do well, that come from? Yeah. I mean, that had been his focus for a long time. Like he had wanted to go to the games, like on the team, not individually. Cause I think he was realistic in that sense, but even starting the gym, I think that in the back of his mind, he was kind of thinking, okay, I can get some real athletes here. We can all work together. We can do this. And so he was working out three or four, I don't even know, hours a day. Um, and so he had a lot of his persona wrapped around being an athlete. And I think he got a lot of, you know, pride from that, like being able to compete, getting top, like good scores and stuff. That's something that I think had a lot of pride. So for him to say that he was willing to not work out so much, maybe even skip days working out and say that he needed help, that he was feeling like he was burning out. I could see that that's something he'd never really said before. So you could tell that he really needed it. Um, so that's really what convinced me that we should go forward with this is that he was willing to sacrifice something that so much of his identity was wrapped around because he knew that he needed to get better as a gym owner and as a business in order to survive. Mitch, do you remember the inflection point when you decided, okay, it's more important to me to be able to run a business than it is for me to be the best athlete in the gym? Uh, there is no one point. It's constant. It's still a battle. I mean, there's still times where I'm like, Maybe next month I can go back into athletic training again. <laughs> you know, I still battle with it. And it's, I mean, it, it's not, I can't say it's a point like that. What I, I guess what I do is I just try to take the strengths from what I was feeling about athleticism and just apply it to the business side of things instead or, or the coaching side, depending on what hat I need to wear that day. Okay. So I don't remember when we started if it was a goal of yours for Catherine, you to be able to leave teaching to come and work in the gym. It wasn't, it wasn't a goal. It wasn't. Okay. So when did that concept start to come up? Because I know I, I understand I don't get paid enough money for, I, to, to do a job that I don't have forward advancement and that, you know, limits my vision for what this job could be. And we always say, if you want people to stick around, create a vision big enough for their vision to fit inside of it. When did you decide, you know what, I want to get out of teaching and I want to come into the gym full time too? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I think from the beginning with teaching, the first couple of years, there was a lot of adrenaline and a lot of fun. Um, but then I started feeling like it was so much work for so little money. Uh, and part of it was probably because we were living off of one income, but just kind of realizing that no matter how hard I worked, I could bust my ass every single day and I'd make the same amount of money as if I were to coast and be a terrible teacher. Um, so that started really draining me a lot. But once once we started making money with the gym, um, then it started seeming more possible that maybe I could be doing something else. And if I were to start putting my efforts somewhere that benefits me a little bit more, um, then all the hard work, instead of putting all that hard work into teaching and having it 
not benefit us that much instead put that effort into the gym and this other side of life I could still have that sense of purpose where I'm helping people um, but I would also know that the hard work I was putting in is also helping me uh, which really was very motivating so it was after we started making money <laughs> like doubling what our income was before that I was like okay this is serious and I could actually have a future with this company that my husband cares so much about and that I care about um, and not feel like I'm just drowning all the time. Cause it was really emotionally draining, especially after having a baby. Got it. So, so if I'm understanding correctly and please correct me if I'm not, or if I, you know, misquote here, what it sounds like to me is you were making about $40,000 as a teacher. And that was no disrespect to Mitch, almost all of the money that was coming into the household. Yeah. And one, and, and then Mitch, as you were doing that, started to make himself all the way up to, uh, like he was making 2000 was his best month ever. Once he started to make 4000 himself, you were like, okay, Mitch, your income is now replacing, like it's matching and exceeding my income as a teacher. So we were able to live off of this amount of money before. I'm not happy as a teacher. Can we go back to living off of that amount of income? I'll come work in the gym and see if we can grow it. Is that kind of what happened there? Yeah, definitely. Especially with our family, um, since I was taking a bigger role with helping the gym grow and we have a new baby and I was teaching, like all of us were just so frazzled all the time, um, which it was just too much. And so once I saw it was like actually financially viable that we can make money and have the same amount of security that we had with me teaching, we have that same kind of feeling of financial security with the gym. Um, that, that's when I was decided it was okay to leave. <laughs> well, the interesting thing about that to me is you, from my knowledge of you and our relationship that we've developed over the last year, you're very calculated. And Mitch, you are more calculated than maybe you would give yourself credit for, but you're also very quick to start things. You're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's just, let's dive in all the way. So in the, in the back of both of your minds, like when you're by yourself and your thoughts, how much anxiety still exists around, well, it could all go to shit. You know, like I, I, I had a job teaching that no matter what, I was going to get that paycheck and I had health insurance and I had a pension and this could all go to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, I think if you had asked me in March, I would have had a much different answer than I do now because um, there was so much uncertainty. And I had put in my two weeks notice with teaching in October, uh, like right after the school year started. I was like, I'm leaving. Like, this is just want to let you know, you've got tons of time. Let's try to find a really good replacement. So when you, um, you, and you for people who are listening to this, they can't see the air quotes. So you told them you were going to stop teaching what in June? I, I told them I was going to stop. So in October, I... The year before. Yeah. Basically. So it was almost an entire school year. I was like, hey, I know that I'm leaving after this year. Let's try to get a good student teacher in here, see if we can get a good replacement. Because it's always really hard to find a quality teacher. And I think that I really was a good teacher, but it just wasn't my passion in life. Um, so I was like, let's try to get someone in here. So in October, I was like, I'm leaving at the end of the school year, still months and months away. Um, then January happens and 
February and March and things just start getting crazy. And it was really scary that I had told this very secure job that I was not going to be there anymore. Um, but now there's not nearly as much like this is what, what are we in December? So we've gone through all this coronavirus stuff. Um, I don't think there's nearly as much anxiety financially as I would have thought. Because uh, we were able to ride through all the coronavirus stuff. We're still, I mean, right now we're having our best months that we've ever had. Um, and like the nation's like shut down, you know? <laughs> so it's just that even when all shit hits the fan and you think that it couldn't get any worse, like we as a business, because we've been working so hard on being a good business, um, we've been able to not only like survive this but i feel like we're thriving in a lot of ways you guys are so there's still that financial kind of nervousness um i think i'm just kind of a more anxious person but month after month we continue to improve um so i just kind of have to trust the process i guess and mitch what about you i feel like my anxiety is way less um because basically at this point i coach like two classes a week or three classes a week now um, and then I have like, um, two clients, I want to say like, so I'm doing very little coaching, but I still get to scratch that itch just a little bit. Um, and I get to be selective about who I work with. So that part of the job and that hat that I wear is fine. And now that I see where we're at, the scarier thing would be to lose an employee and have to coach more. <laughs> that would be the scarier thing to me it was, it's totally doable. So like financially, I don't think we take a loss if that happens. I just step up, which is, I've done it before. I can do it again. Right. I would rather not do that because that halts progression forward and the rate of progression forward. And I feel like we're on a roll right now with getting our employees better at their jobs and facilitating these relationships and getting it to the right point. So I feel like there's anxiety now. That's comforting for me. My wife is a teacher. She isn't sure she's going to be a teacher anymore. And I got to be honest, like there's anxiety with that. You know, there's what, what if, what if, what if, what if, uh, yeah. So I appreciate that. You made some really mature moves as gym owners. One of them was, you went from making no money to making some money to then having the opportunity to make a substantial amount of money. And instead of taking all of that money, you invested it in bringing on full-time staff. In fact, a coach moved across state lines to like transplanted their whole life to come and work for you full-time. How did you make the decision that instead of taking the extra few thousand dollars per month that would be the base pay for that coach, you were going to delegate duties to somebody else and pay them for those duties before they created any kind of new income opportunities for you? How did you decide that that was what your plan was going to be? Well, first, it starts with a mistake. Um, so we were actually really close to hiring someone else who would have moved I mean, across the country but our base pay, and I knew the base pay was low, but I also was very confident that we would get his pay up so fast that it would be irrelevant. But it's hard when you're the other side of the coin and you're like, yeah, but I'm going to move across the country and my base pay is going to be barely enough to pay for rent and like my bills. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, okay. 
So we figured out that was probably too low to get someone to move. And I locally, no talent as far as like, I didn't feel like anyone local was one, it was going to take 12 weeks to go through an immersion program. And like, that just didn't, that's too long to wait. Like I need somebody to start this thing sooner. So then we talked to you and uh, you kind of said like, what are you doing? And so I said, what my schedule was like, and like, what if you gave her all that and, uh, and paid her for that? And it was like, Oh, that's an interesting thought. I guess we could just do that. <laughs> um, which takes me out of coaching more, which was actually 2020's goal was for me to coach zero classes by the end of the year. I told that to all my staff at the beginning of the year. Um, but it was interesting because uh, that hadn't really crossed my mind. And then when it did, it was, all of a sudden the reality of a base pay that was good became much more like tangible. But ultimately, I mean, the reason why we made the decision to sacrifice some of our own profit for hiring someone is because once again, we were up against the wall where it's like, we need more time. Um, so having me come on to the business that gave Mitch more time. So I was doing a lot more of the back end things so that was really helpful. But again, we reached a wall where it's like, we're at the peak that we can do with the amount of time that we have and Mitch needed more time. Um, so it really just came down to sacrificing the stability of having him coach those classes and work with those individuals um, to giving it to someone else. And then knowing that now we have this time again, where he's able to work even more and grow the business more. So that's really why we made that decision is because it came down to time. Yeah. Well, I think I want to talk about the time thing that's all coming from, uh, mental health really. So, um, people, time is time, time is unchanging or whatever, but if you don't have enough time to fill all the gaps that you believe are necessary for absolute health and you're trying to coach other people in absolute health, all of a sudden you start real, like you want to talk about imposter syndrome. It's like, I'm sitting here telling these people to do this mindset stuff, this journal, this nutrition stuff. And here I am, don't have time for almost any of it because I'm working 14 hour days. And if I do get a break, it's got to be something quick because I got to get back to work. And I didn't spend hardly any time with my family and things like that. So it was like mentally, I was not in a good space working that much, which is why time became the most important thing to us. Because it was like, I need more time, which means I need someone to fill the other hours of the day for me. And they need to be just as good as me or better. Well, and so, you, you also need to be able to make that time productive. It can't just be, all right, Mitch can now go chill. I mean, some of it is, you know, some of it is, I want to go home and see the baby. I want to hang out with Catherine. I want to be together as a family. I want to go on vacation to wherever you guys just went on vacation to. That looked awesome, by the way. It was nice. (laughs) (laughs) We'll talk about that before we're done. But you also need to have the confidence that you can take some of that time and turn it into money that is greater than the amount of money that you just paid somebody else to do a job. So where did that confidence come from? Um, oh man, I don't know that I can pinpoint it. Um, I think, well, while you're thinking, we go back, you think, you think about it and Catherine, where did your confidence that Mitch could do that come from? Because it's not your job in the business to drive revenue. It's your job in the business to make sure that the revenue that's driven gets appropriately used. 
Yeah. So I think it just came down to, we've done this before and we can do it again. And we hadn't done that specific scenario before, but we've done something that before seemed impossible and like super scary. Um, and each time that we've made a leap where we've tried something really scary and we've just put all of our energy into it, it's paid off so much starting the gym to begin with signing on with active life. All these things have been so scary, but our lives have gotten exponentially better. So yeah, hiring on this person that was moving to a new state and would be depending on us for their sole income. That was really, really scary. And then replacing all Mitch's work and him not having nearly as much work to do. That was really, really scary. But knowing that we've overcome those very scary things before and it's really paid off, that's given me the confidence to try more scary things and to take more risks like that. And I think so far it's definitely been paying off. So once again, it's been really worthwhile to do that scary thing and then see that, yes, we can do it. And yes, it's actually really beneficial. Mitch, you got something to add to that? Yeah. So if you build it, they will come was like the thought beforehand. But when you start seeing that there's a structure for a business to make it be thriving instead of surviving, that was, I think, where the confidence is really coming from is like, okay, there's structure in this. If I go all in in this one area and stop going so far into this other area by replacing myself in the other area, then we can progress forward faster. Um, so I guess the confidence had to come from knowing that there was structure um, and that I could go all in on something else. Cause like you said, it's not like I'm just not working now. I, <laughs> I just work nine hours a day and I actually work nine hours a day. Um, one hour of that is an exercise hour and like the rest of it is actually work. So, and I, like I said, I don't really coach much. So all that work is really coming down to trying to engage in conversations, trying to write articles, trying to get my thoughts on paper and, accelerate growth, um, get in front of the right audiences, that type of thing. So that's all stuff I wouldn't have even had time to consider. So I imagine that's the, I imagine that for gym owners listening to this or even coaches listening to this, they're like, well, so you're telling me, Mitch, that you effectively spend eight hours a day writing blogs and trying to have conversations with people like what 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 do you mean what does that look like what is your i don't understand what your day is can you explain to people what that means because it's very easy for somebody to be like oh that would be great i'll give up all my classes and then they find themselves with all this time without any direction they're like um what do i do how do i how do i replace the revenue like wh what does your day look like yeah i mean it has, that has been a struggle. There have been times where I've been sitting at my desk and going, I need an actionable task right now. And I feel like I'm lacking one. And so there is a transition there. Um, but if you practice, you start getting better. So um, one of the things that I try to fill my time with is reaching out to other businesses and starting that relationship. Cause the more successful people I talk to, the more I realize that that is a big key is to have good relationships with other businesses where you're plugging each other nonstop. And that is a one, it's a nice route to go down when you're talking about like, if you've ever built like a business plan, which if you own a gym, I hope you've at least tried that one time, 
you kind of get in your head, you're like, it's going to be great. We're going to grow at this rate and it's going to be perfect. And like, you start getting there, Well, you start getting there again mentally and it kind of is exciting. Now, the reality shifts though, because you have to build a relationship from the ground up and quickly turn it into something that you can monetize. So that is actually where I think the biggest challenge is. is, And I think the skill that I'm working on and honing in on is the sales skill. Um, And I don't mean sales as in I'm not trying to sell my gym to this company. I'm trying to sell me to this other company owner as the person that they want to know. Right. That's what, that's all I'm trying to sell first. And if I can accomplish that, then we can go forward into awesome. Now, how can I help your business grow through utilization of my skill set and my coach's skill set? And that's where we become the mutually beneficial partnership. That's such a great way Um, to put it. How can I help your business grow through the utilization of my skill set? Can you give an example of, one thing that you've done that's helped another business grow through the utilization of your skill set, which effectively turns into a collaborative effort where they're getting something valuable out of it, you're getting something valuable out of it, and it never has to feel like an ask. Um, I can't really because it's new to me and I don't feel like we're quite there yet. So I don't want to say that, yes, I can definitely give you an example of that. Um, but again, I, when I relate it back to coaching – the first thing that I had to start fixing was my mindset around coaching. My goal is impact. And if I really keep that up front in my brain, every session becomes more driven. So now my goal is still impact, but it's like, I need more relationships with people who have greater impact circles. So one thing that we're working on is a golf course locally. And it's like, we know that we can make their golfers much happier, which means they'll show up more and they'll bring their friends more and blah, blah, blah. If they feel healthy and confident in their body's ability to do the work that's ahead of them, we deliver that. That is exactly what we deliver is body confidence, essentially in both ability and physique. So it's like, that seems like a perfect relationship to gel. I just have to build a relationship with the general manager first. Right. And you don't start, you don't start by just showing up because then you look like every other fitness weirdo who just brings a booth to a random thing. And like, it needs to be like, it needs to be the owner's idea almost. Well, I think, I think, I think now you're starting to touch on where most of that time goes. It's in making it a conversation with a friend instead of making it a proposal to a counterpart, you know, and and developing relationships with people on purpose takes time. Mm -hmm. It's, It's paying attention to what they're doing it's mentioning that, oh, I noticed you were doing this. I think it's a great idea. I'm excited to, to, to learn more about it. You know, whenever I'm looking to create a relationship like that with somebody, uh, one of the things that I will look to do is listen to podcasts that they've been on, listen to podcasts that they've created, make notes about beliefs that they have that I share, make notes about values that they have that I share, make notes about things that they, would, that they have said that resonated with me. In fact, today I sent a message to somebody. Uh, he said on one of the podcasts he was doing, he, he mentioned the term fitness menopause. And he was talking about the idea of effectively what you were describing, where, where the day comes that you're like, is this fitness actually serving me anymore? Or is it just something that I do? And is there something better I could be doing? And he called that fitness menopause. And I just messaged him right away. Pause the podcast, send him a message. I'm like, dude, fitness menopause. 
That's happened to me twice. And here's how. <laughs> so that, like, if, if you're not willing to put the time in to listen to those shows, to read their articles, to go to their websites, yeah. that that's difficult. Okay. It, it's weird because like when you're doing it, you don't feel like it's work sometimes because you're doing something like I enjoy building relationships. So it sometimes feels like I'm not working when I do those things. But that's why I think I also have to be good at time management and be like from this time, to this time I'm focused on this task. Yeah, um, Cause otherwise I will just kind of get lost in the let's build a relationship. And then I end up literally just having hanging out with a friend. Right. <laughs> you know? Which isn't the worst thing. As long as eventually you remember to ask that friend, how you guys can be helpful to each other. Yeah. Okay. I like that. So one of the things I want to move to next was, and maybe this is a Catherine slash Mitch question. You guys have raised prices. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And we're doing it again next month. Okay. I like how confidently she's like, if you can't see it, but she basically put her head in her chin or her chin on her hand. <laughs> and she was like, Hey, we're doing it again next month. So there you go. What were prices? When did you raise them? How did you explain it? And why did, you know, how did you justify it? Oof. Um, what were, I think we were so, at like 110. So yeah, if we go back to the beginning or like max price was 120. Um, and that was kind of rarely sold because we, then we had all the discounts, right? right. So people could feel like they get it. So you got the military discount, the teacher, the student, the, family, whatever. And all those discounts were, you know, making it average, probably closer to a hundred to 110. Plus we had people that were grandfathered in from the previous gyms. They were at like $85 a month. So yeah, 60, like it was, it was pretty low, but we're like, we don't want to screw these people over. Well, you know, it's fine. Whatever. I'm glad we have members. So we started really low. Um, And then really soon after we started working with active life, we were uh, very forcefully suggested to raise our prices. <laughs> I remember in like the first conversation, he's like, no more discounts, no more free trials. And then he goes on to explain it. And I was like, okay, I can back that. That was on, and that, honestly, that was on your sales call. Yeah. I was going to say that might not have even been, yeah, our first call really. It might've been the first sales call. And there was, there was a call right after the sales call where I told you I was going into a meeting to do a, a potential sale. And you're like, okay, call me before that happens. And then you basically laid out how to talk to them, what we're going to talk about, and then how to know how much, blah, blah, blah. And they're still a member and they signed up for a 12 pack then with their wife and then a 24 pack later. So, um, and we'd never done, we never really done training. PT, so too. that was like a huge game. And that was after our first call with Dr. Sean, which basically means we paid for the entire pro path. <laughs> but that, that was, that was you. That all happened. I remember where I was. I was sitting in a room, in a hotel room in Seattle because we were doing a seminar and Larry and Ray were with me and they were like, we're going to go to the really nice, like I forget what they call them, like the Starbucks Reserve. We're going to go to the Starbucks mm-hmm. Reserve. Um, you sure you want to take this call? I'm like, yeah, like don't, don't wait for me. Like, fuck me. Don't, no big deal, guys. You just go have fun. I'll do the business here. I'll keep making sure that you can buy your Starbucks Reserve. And, <laughs> and, on that call, I remember, first of all, you looked a little different. You had a lot more facial hair, Mitch. And Oh, yes. I have a beard. Yep. And um, not that there's wrong with having a beard. You look a little bit more professional now, though. Wasn't the most manicured beard in the world. The, he looked old with it. Like 10 years older. It was terrible. He did. He did. Uh, so 
It was on the call. It was when you were, when you enrolled in the program, it was the same call that we talked about from now on, no more discounts, no more special pricing. And everybody who comes through, you're looking to make sure that they're a fit for you instead of making sure that you can get them to buy. And that's when mm-hmm. you, you, would you, you sold the husband and the wife for a few thousand dollars a piece up front and they're still members. Yeah. And then sold them again, a continuing package after that. And yeah, they're still members. It's outstanding. So your price point at that, at that time was $110 a month. What did you end up charging those people for membership and how did you get the rest of the membership up to that rate? Well, I think at that time we were still at 120. So they were at whatever rate that was, um, I think 120 each. And then, uh, the PT prices were significantly different. So I, I can't remember exactly the numbers, to be honest, it was probably like 1500 for the first one. And then like 3,600 for the second one. Mm-hmm. So in total, they're spending over, you know, five grand on us just in personal training plus their monthly fees that come along with that. So, um, yeah, we didn't actually, we raised our prices for incoming members shortly after that. No, actually it was a while after that. It had been a while before we did that, um, to 135. And then we got all our current members up to 135 how? and that was like the hardest thing. Yeah. How'd, to you, do? how'd you do that? I think we just said we waited email. a long time. We waited to, too long. Probably. We waited probably too long. Um, oh no, but we used the, we moved to a new facility that was like yeah. way nicer than our last facility. So we used that as like the, obviously it's going to cost more guys. Um, kind of like, even though honestly, if we truly set ourselves up for success, we would have raised their prices earlier. And then in that move, raise them again. So, so right now your prices are what? 135 for current members. And then next month they're going to 150. Okay. So, new so in the span of about a year and a quarter, you will have raised prices by an average of $40 per month for the highest paying member in the gym. And an average of probably more like $60 a month for the average member in the gym. Yeah. I mean, we're not even talking about the hybrid model classes. I mean, that's a totally different. Well, let's talk about that then. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about that. I mean, so, so the hybrid model class that uh, Midge is talking about is the class that we asked gym owners to, you know, worldwide to start running when COVID hit. Cause we recognized that coming back into the gym, there could be limitations on how many people could come and the mistakes that we saw. Gyms- it was actually, so that was done before COVID. No, I know that. I'm talking about the where they but might have seen it. Yeah. Well, yeah. at first it was only for gyms who we were working with. I didn't want to push that out to anybody else in the world. But then when COVID hit, I felt like it was something that we had to share with people because now it was, well, how are you going to run your business with a third of the membership allowed to come in at a time? And the mm-hmm. price point of the of this class is much more expensive. So go ahead. Now you can talk about it. Yeah. I mean, so we just did math to figure out the price point where it was like, okay, our membership rate plus what it takes to program for somebody individually plus uh, one-on-one per month. That was kind of like, okay, that becomes the new price for a class like that. Which is what? And the way the class is structured, I assume you want me to talk a little bit about is where basically the first half class, like 30 minutes is designed for the individual. And the last 30 minutes is designed for the social. Um, they still get a custom program even on that social side. So they're not doing inappropriate rep schemes. 
They're not doing inappropriate weights and loads. They get to hit RX every single time because it's designed specifically for them to achieve. Um, and yet they still get to compete a little bit on like we, we are now shifting where it's like, okay, this class is missing some of the competitive nature that made uh, fitness fun for some people, but we have the ability now to dose it in properly. Whereas we thought CrossFit got carried away with it. So dosing it in properly becomes like, let's compete like once a week mm-hmm. instead of like every freaking day. Um, so we're starting to go into that where it's like now they get to compete, but it's at theoretical same levels right now. Obviously, if you were actually at a competition, that's not how it's going to work. Everybody's got to use the same weight, same things like well, that. But that. That's only how it like, works. That's only how it works in a fitness competition. If I'm playing golf against somebody and I have a handicap, I don't play golf anymore. It quit on me when I couldn't fix my game from 90 yards to 40 yards. <laughs> but, but either way, like if I go golfing with someone and I'm a 17 handicap and they're a 10 handicap, I start with a seven stroke advantage and then we play right. straight up. So it's, it's very similar to that in what you're describing. Right. And I think if people value that more, um, they would have more fun in their fitness journey mm-hmm. because, and they'd be humbled more frequently, which is what they're really afraid of. They don't want to be humbled more frequently. And it's like, that's the only thing that's going to make you a better person. Well, so what is so, that? What does that class cost? 325. Well, it's moving to 365 next month. Okay. So, so, so 365 to be a member of that class. When you yeah. rolled out this class and you were like, hey, we have a $300 plus a month membership. First of all, are you guys in Beverly Hills? Like is the average household income where you are like $200,000? No, it's actually- It's really low. low. Um, and the housing has gone up significantly here too, but income hasn't. So that's one reason why we're not going to 400. What's I think it? our okay. average average income is 49,000 a okay. year. So that's not bad. It's, it's not, it's, it's about average for the country. So $49,000 okay. a year average household or median household income is where you guys are living. The class is going to go cost $365. You announce it. And, and by the way, for people listening, the value of it is custom first half of class, individualized second half of class. So it's different than an OPEX model. For those of you who know what an OPEX model is, it's not people coming in and just working out on their own at the same time as other people. It's, that's the first half, but they are together in a group. There is an instructor running the class. They warm up together. Then they go do their individual stuff for 20, 25 minutes. Then they come together and do a similar, if not the same workout, depending on their specific needs and how that workout needs to be tailored to them. Correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Great. And that membership is going to cost three sixty-five a month next month. When you roll this out, are people like, you are fucking crazy. We are never going, nobody's ever going to pay that. We're not doing it. You guys have all of a sudden become money hungry, terrible people. Is that what happened when you rolled this class out? Um, I mean, no, (laughs) but we didn't really get, like, I was thinking some of those things, to be honest, I was like, ridiculous. There's no way. But when I do look at the amount of time I would invest in somebody who's paying that price, it's totally different than the amount of time I invest into general physical preparedness programming. Like that stuff, it's like, you go, well, should I program pull-ups on this day or like a row variant so that we work on like this, right? And it's like, well, you know, whatever, just program whichever one, right? But when it comes down to the individual, it's like, well, I've tested this and this is inappropriate and this is appropriate, right? And it's, it's that's a different character. Time. I tested this with them uh, specifically. Yes. Yeah. And 
we really only did it for new people um, at first. I mean, we tried to get a few of the current clients pulled out of it and we did. So we got about half and half, I want to say, when we filled that class. We got half people who have been to CrossFit for years and half people who have never done CrossFit a day in their life. Um, and my belief was, I doubt anybody buys this. I was wrong. Like I knew that it was worth it when it comes to like my time investing into it and my expertise investing into it. I knew that was all worth that price tag. It just isn't really a price tag that people are used to paying. So I just thought there's no way it would happen. And it happened and it happened relatively quickly. So then I started changing my mindset around money a little bit and just being like, money's just this thing. We get to set whatever prices we want to set if we think that what we're doing is valuable. So one of your posts actually that I always reference is create value first and increase price. It's like, I've been so focused on making my coaches elite when it comes to like their ability to help somebody, not elite athletes, elite in their ability to have a conversation with somebody and make them in one hour go from kind of feeling like whatever about themselves to feeling like I'm in the right place and my fucking life is about to be awesome. That's, that's what we're focused on. And it has very little to do with how many bench press at what weight you could do. Um, even though I still like to bench press, you know, what'd you say did it yesterday? Yeah. Well, cause I mean, it was my Monday yesterday cause we went on that little getaway. So yeah, we'll get to that little getaway in a second. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously Catherine's sitting there. She's like, I won't say it, but I'm glad Mitch can bench a lot. Like it's cool. so um how many people are in that class right now how many people enrolled in that membership at we were like 17 or 18 now okay so i mean so that ends up being substantial that ends up being like seven seven and a half thousand dollars of extra revenue per month yeah it's getting close to what our average like our base membership of crossfit i put air quotes around that um, cause we're probably not going to be calling it CrossFit too much longer, but, um, that's what our base membership revenue is bringing in mm-hmm. almost. So like, it's almost on the same level now. Right. So you're making as much on the hybrid, on the hybrid, the active life class as you're ma- with 18 people, as you're making off of all of your group membership with how many people? Like 70, 70 people. And then on top of all of that is all the personal training revenue that you guys generate. In a month, mm-hmm. which is, I think sometimes is more than all of those. So yeah, right. Well, that's, that's what we call diversified income people. That's nice because what it means is that any one of those little markets within your market can take a small hit and your business can be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Now, who are the people who are opting into that class? What makes them a fit for it? Is it people who are just like, yo, I got more money. I want to spend it. I'll take this class or is it a different type of person? Well, there's, there is a little variety in that. There's definitely the, I'm scared of the CrossFit thing. Um, and so they want to feel like they don't have the pressures of doing that. Um, so there's that, even though the group stuff isn't easy, right? It's not like it's an easier class. It is just, we get to be more careful in their approach because it's going to be more for them. Whereas if they were like, when they were in my CrossFit model classes, they would just come in and see like, well, shit, we're doing a hundred pushups today. I can't do one. So that's an issue. Um, but I got to do all hundred before I move on to like this next movement, which is 
high skill complexity, like a snatch or something like, uh, I'm so terrible at snatches. Like they start immediately before the workout starts. They feel terrible about themselves. They don't feel more confident after doing it. Yeah. They get the like head rush from doing exercise, but at the end of the day, they didn't get better at a whole lot of things. Right. And they didn't get stronger at a push up, which I'd love to talk about with other CrossFit coaches who still believe GPP is like the thing is the push up is like the perfect example. How many athletes do you have that can do a push up really, really well? And then how many of them can do 10 really, really well? And then how many of them can do push ups have been with you for a year and still can't do a push up? Like low hanging fruit should be a body weight push up, right? But that happens in CrossFit because the rep schemes are so crazy that they're always scaling, never progressing. So that's where it became like night and day is when we started doing Tide and everybody's getting results. And every four weeks we measure results. Like it's kind of nice. Anyway, I totally got off on a tangent there, but that's okay. T- um, tide, tide is that class. Is that that more expensive class model? That's yeah. Tide is that hybrid class. Yeah. So at any rate, like, I don't even remember what I was talking about. I just got the well, push-up you, thing what, what, you, what you were talking about was that the kind of person who values that class is the kind of person who wants more measured, consistent, progressive results. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exact. So like now when we're looking at who's a good fit to work with us, it's like, do they have a goal? Is it specific and is it attainable? And are we the right person for that? And if those are all answered like specifically, then it's like, boom, tied. And we're getting closer and closer to the point where it's like, maybe they haven't defined that for themselves yet. Maybe we're not the best fit if they can't figure out how to define it for, or if we can't help guide them to figure out what the definitions of some of those things are, um, then we probably need to send them to someone who's just GPP so they can go move their body for an hour mindlessly and maybe see results. Maybe not. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of where we're leaning more towards. And I'm, I'm even doing it on like, at first the belief was this class was a step back. I'm pushing people to believe this step, this class is a propulsion forward by taking a couple of our higher end athletes and I'm going to start programming for them so that they can see that the skill progressions that they were lacking before are there. And now they can take their game to a whole nother level. So if I'm understanding, I'm sorry, I thought you were done. Go ahead. No, you're good. If, if I'm understanding correctly, Catherine, you could probably answer this better than Mitch. Your revenue now is about triple what it was a year ago, a year and a half, a year yeah. and a change. Okay. Yeah. Close. Right. Okay. So, I imagine your income is not necessarily triple what it was because you're maybe it is, maybe it's not, but I imagine a lot of that gets invested back into the business. So I know earlier in the year, you guys did the fun uh, Mitch on a truck calendar shoot when you guys bought a new pickup truck. Recently you went away for what, like a week, was it a weekend getaway, a three day getaway? What, what was it? Yeah, it was just like a Sunday to Tuesday. So like off weekend. Away. We had big trips planned in 2020, but something happened. 2020 was the year of travel, and then <laughs> 2020 happened and didn't pan out. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> well, so how do you decide? And, and this might be a ridiculous question, but how do you decide when there's enough money to say we're going to go on vacation? We're going to go away. We're going to go get away. Like, and people are going to run the gym, and we're going to be fine. And we're not going to be able to sell while we're gone, and we're going to be fine. And this is going to cost us a few thousand dollars, and we're going to be fine, and it's worth it. Um, I mean, I'm kind of the one that decides I, of course <laughs> I'll are. book a trip. Like, okay, Mitch, we're going on this trip. Block <laughs> out your calendar. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think the question isn't when do you decide that you have enough money. It's you decide on the trip, and then you go figure out how to make that much money to make the trip doable. Yeah, I'm kind of um, some of our life goals that we've that I've planned out for us because <laughs> I'm the planner, <laughs> but. Um, some of the things I plan for us are I want to be doing lots of travel. Um, so doing one big, awesome trip a year, quarterly doing small getaways. Um, Cause I think that's so good for us as a family and us as a couple, even as a business to have that time to step back and not worry about anything else and reconnect. And then you can have those creative juices flowing again um, instead of constantly being on that grind. That's a skill set, by the way. Like, it doesn't just happen. Like, if I went on a month vacation, I guarantee I think about the gym every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a skill. You almost have to hone in your skill on how to relax. <laughs> yes. But I think, like, planning that trip and taking it, it's about um, thinking about what I want our life to be like and the things that I really value. Uh, and then just putting them into action and then making sure that uh, we still survive afterwards. So kind of like what Mitch is saying, like you you plan it and then you figure all your shit out afterwards because you have to. Uh, so it's kind of, we've always done well putting ourselves up against the wall and back into a corner and then finding your way out of it. I think it's the same with doing really fun things too, um, that you kind of plan those things, not irresponsibly, because I mean, I'm too stressed out to ever do that kind of thing. But you do plan those things and you make sure afterwards that it works. So that's what we did with our little trip. We're like, okay, we're going to take this trip and we'll make it work. So just forcing yourself to do it. It looked amazing. I mean, like, it looked like you guys found a hot spring with a faucet that you could control the spring. Like, I don't know what it was, but I was like, damn, I kind of want to go do one of those. Who's going to watch my three kids for like four days? <laughs> you need a grandparent right next door to we, take care uh, of your kids. We have them. They're, they're like a mile and a half away. The thing is, uh, toots, they're, they're pops and toots. Toots is all about it. And pops is, is like, look, I'll do it. But only, only, only for so long. That sounds exactly like our situation. (laughs) Perfect. So anything that you would want other gym owners listening to this to hear, to believe, to take action on themselves. And I'm not asking for a shameless plug. What I'm, what I'm getting at here is I, the reason I thought you two were perfect for this show is in a big way, because you represent exactly what I believe the average micro gym owner is a year and a half ago. You what I mean by that is a couple who would love to be able to spend more time together and have more opportunity for the family, but the gym isn't really generating all that much money. The wife or the husband, whichever one is not in the gym believes in the one who is in the gym and loves them and supports them and wants them to grow even if it's not a wife or a husband, it could be a parent, a friend, whatever it might be. And the person in the gym is passionately pushing forward in a business that's not serving them financially. And then you guys have ascended from that to, I believe, the kind of gym that everybody wants to be able to run. One that can sell personal training at appropriate prices. One that can run a class that is more than double the price of the regular membership and have multiple of those classes on the schedule and both of them full one that can create financial freedom for themselves and for their staff. What do you, 
believe other gym owners need to be in the know of to be able to do what you guys did? I mean, do you want to be a gym owner or do you want to be a coach is the first question. If you want to be good at either of those things, you can't do everything, Um, which means it's going to take some discomfort. And I mean, the way the nervous system works that you teach your clients every single day is you have to put strain and intensity on it in order for it to adapt. And it's no different from taking leaps of faith into like business structures and changing things around the gym in order to facilitate growth later, it's going to take a hit at first, right? Like that's how the nervous system works. It's not different just because you were doing something physical before and now you're doing something more mental. It's the exact same. So if you teach your members that, which I know you do because it's just science, then you should be teaching yourself that and living by that as much as possible. I guess, I mean, do you want to be a coach or do you want to be an owner? There's a big difference between the two. And again, one like goes back to that analogy, like, do you want to make an impact on one individual? And that's a good impact and that's great. And then be able to repeat that and do it over and over again. Awesome. You're a coach. Do you want to facilitate a group to be able to do exactly that so that you can access more people than just one at a time? And if that's what you want to do, ownership is probably the better route to go. Um, And then I can't describe like the mentorship is necessary. Just like you're like a coach is the mentor, right? Like you're getting these people to invest into you because you believe and they believe that you have the skill set to propel them forward towards their goal. I had goals and ambitions as a gym owner, but without the accountability and somebody to tell me some structure and tell me like, stop bitching or whatever, it doesn't happen. So hiring a mentor became a very, I don't take not, not that you guys say stop bitching, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's the, that's the, that's where it's coming from is it's kind of like, I don't want to report back to my mentor that I didn't take action on the thing they told me to take action on. Cause I was scared. Mm-hmm. Right. Because then obviously we see stagnant business and every time I've actually taken action, it's worked out. So, um, I guess I can't, if I had to say it quickly, it's like, know your role and take action. <laughs> I like it. Catherine, what about you? Um, well, to kind of go off of what he was saying a little bit, getting a coach is so valuable. Like people listening to this probably are coaches and they know that the value that they can give to an average everyday person. And when you think about like, an athlete at the CrossFit games, like how many of those people have gotten to the games by themselves without an outside perspective, forcing them to work on their weaknesses and try new things uh, and not only work on their strengths. And it's like, those people are successful because they have someone forcing them to do uncomfortable things and looking out for their blind spots. And I think the same is true for any kind of business. You need someone who is going to hold you accountable for doing hard things. That's going to force you to look at new perspectives that you haven't seen before. Um, so I think that's, that's so important to have an outside perspective that also aligns with your own vision and your own ideals, not just some random person, but someone that you really look up to. Um, so I think that really goes along with the coaching thing. And the other thing I would say is, uh, 
if something is scary, that's okay. Um, and that probably means that you are trying something that's going to be worthwhile and that you should go, go for it, but not like, not too scary. You have to be cautious too. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, jump off the cliff. Make sure you're not going to die and then do that scary thing. Yeah. Don't be the first to jump off the cliff, but jump off the cliff. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, 99% of the time it's all going to pan out. And if you can get a realistic view of that, yeah, you're going to be fine. Then you can stop, you know, kicking sand and start doing something with your life. I mean, the way I look at it is most of the people who don't take action on the things that you guys are describing are already living the worst case scenario of if they took the action and it failed. It's whatever you're already doing. Yeah. So, so. So. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Uh, and, and that's, that's, that's where I see it. So anything you guys want to add before we wrap the show up today? I think you guys are great guests. I don't think so. I don't think so. We haven't rushed. We like working with active life. So I like working with, I, I like working with you guys too. All right. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having us. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the active life podcast. If you did, please be sure to head to wherever you listened to it and give us a quality review as well as five stars if you can spare them. If you want more from us, feel free to follow all of our social media accounts at Active Life Professional, Active Life Rx, and Dr. Sean Pastuge on Instagram. Remember, at Active Life, we believe that the healthcare clinic of the future is the gym and the healthcare provider of the future is the coach. We also believe that that future is now.